to me personally difficult mm -hmm. to witness people talk about status quo in both the upholding and demolishing mm -hmm. of the status quo right. because it's like well either way this is going to change my life <laughs> drastically and either way it it works so it's like me personally having to grapple like no matter what happens my life is going to change like forever whichever way the status quo falls right. if it gets even more stricter or if it totally uh topples like mm -hmm. it's going to change and like knowing that just realizing like how much power people have over me through the status quo, like either upholding it or changing it, mm -hmm. it's just kind of hard to like. You're we're at the whims of it. Yes. So I want to get into like what you believe America's current status quo is, but yeah. I just wanted to mention like how fascinated I am by the way status quo shapeshifts. It's almost. <laughs> Like, it, it's almost difficult to wrap your head around because, like, we view status quo as this, like, static thing. But yeah. it is constantly being maneuvered. It's constantly being uh, reformed and reshaped, uh, depending. It's almost like uh, it, it's like a thing that people try to keep alive <laughs> like they're, yeah. they're moving all these pieces just to maintain it so what do you believe and this is such a loaded question so feel free to zoom out a little bit what is america's current status quo i think in general the status quo is not to talk about anything uncomfortable <laughs> like that's what people want to fight for like not having the hard conversations or like i don't know totally thinking of thinking of other people uh you have to work for yourself type of status quo and like thinking about other people or like working for other people is not helping the status quo that's what i currently mm -hmm. think it is so this is a conversation i think that happens on the left i believe the white left, also known as like the class left, will lay the blame of, of our current status quo on capitalism. It's almost, it almost becomes race neutral with them, specifically thinking of like Bernie bros. Because I would, I would peg our current, stat, like, like America's status quo as a, a status quo made for and by white people to cement white power. Yeah, I can and, agree with that, yeah. And the people who have the power are able to avoid conversations that they don't want to have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's why it's so difficult to challenge, I think, because once you're holding the power, <laughs> really the only way to lose the power is to, like, relinquish it yeah most of which the time is, which is kind of as a black person it's kind of like upsetting and like uh sad that i don't really have that much of a power or choice in it i just have to convince someone to relinquish their power like i can't make them relinquish mm -hmm. their power mm -hmm. i can't 
do anything more. I can't do anything different in my life. Like nothing I do will change or matter. They just have to eventually decide to relinquish their power. So that's what I am hoping to do with this because I believe that, and I think it's clear, it is a white people problem and it's up to white people to solve it. And if we don't get challenged, if white people don't get challenged or their, their, their comfort isn't disrupted a bit, uh, they will have no, or we will have no motivation to relinquish our power. Um, and so what I'm hoping to do is to o- open up a dialogue with the people in Delhi, because that's the people I know the most. I was raised there. I was, I was shaped by Delhi for better or for worse. And I know how segregated it is. I know how that fallacious conventional wisdom gets uh, circulated endlessly. And it's the same shit we heard as children. When you mentioned before the everyone works for themselves and like you, 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 you get by on your own, on your own hard work or whatever, like that's the very individualist mentality which is ingrained in us, I think that was, or I guess proliferated from the neoliberal ethos. And capitalism is a big driver of that. But that's why, like, to, for the class left, like, there's ample evidence that capitalism shapes how we live our lives, you know, obviously. But American capitalism, you can't separate the genocide and slavery that America, American capitalism was built upon. It's all about bringing, what I hope to do is to lead people through a, like a, a, a line of deduction to get to the root. And Are that, you afraid that leading them through the deduction will make them uncomfortable because if they're uncomfortable then usually people fall into the well I have to uphold the status quo because I don't want to be uncomfortable like that's just like the natural reflex when someone's uncomfortable is to go back to comfort is going to happen there's going to be stages to this I believe and part of the process is understanding these stages, establishing guardrails and boundaries for people who are processing this new information or hearing this new information to, 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 to go through. So anytime someone is uncomfortable, there will be, I think, initial heels dig- digging in. I don't think though that that is a reason not to cause dis- discomfort. I think we too often defer our, like, like you said, I think you said, what, what did you, did you said civility politics or? Respectability politics. Respectability politics. That's, I, I think, you know, I think that's white supremacist politics. And, and what I mean by that is 
because our status quo is a white supremacist status quo, when we engage in respectability with the people who are upholding a violent white supremacist status quo, they think bringing up race is disrespectful. <laughs> you know, like they think that bringing up gun violence and, and, and misogyny and, and these things are, are disrespectful. Uh, I was talking to Sonny about this uh, last week about how, and I think this is to your point, how we make everything political and then we say we can't talk politics. And I think that's a part of the respectability politics. Like we have almost agreed upon terms or, or, or agreed upon topics of conversation to have with one another, like a, like a minimum wage or a tax rate. You, you know, like those are things that we can kind of talk about, but ultimately what it will come down to is the same, like, well, I think this and you think that. <laughs> and we're talking about a $15 minimum wage, which is totally, I mean, just in this example, totally aside, beside the point. If we're talking about the efficacy of a minimum wage without talking about the history of labor in America... <laughs> We're missing yeah. the point. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> yeah. I think it would be really hard to picture a poor black person to like kind of fall in line with this because like when you're poor and you're black, like money is like very valuable to you. And so we're thinking about disrupting the system that can maximize your amount of money. So I'm just wondering, how would you convince someone who all they know is to make as much money as possible to get them out of their situation, right. disrupting that cycle that could make them, that status quo that could make them the maximum amount of money that they could, or they've been told could make them the maximum amount of money that they could make? Lena, thank you so much for saying this. I have an embarrassing thing to admit that like, I hadn't thought about that almost assuming that pe people in poverty understand the system yeah. better than people who are wealthy. You know, like people who are wealthy know the system as far as like avoiding taxes. Right. <laughs> but like, I, I think they often ignore what keeps the system going, which is like exploited labor at often at the expense of, of, of Black Americans and people of color and, and of course, immigrants too. And, and I think someone in poverty, you know, can see... So this is my assumption that someone in poverty is able to see how the, the job that they have doesn't offer enough m money, like, like enough of a wage, doesn't offer health care, uh, fucks with your schedule, like doesn't give you time to like plan child care, like all, like all these things. Um, right. but maybe we get imprinted with this, this conventional wisdom that if you are poor, it's your fault. You know, like that's a very capitalism mindset. Yeah. So how do you, do you think that that, that, that type of mindset is more prevalent in the people who are up, uh, upholding status quo, or it's more ubiquitous than that where, regardless of your class, 
like majority of the people in in the, a class or in a like a demographic believe like buy into this thing that we were imprinted with from a very early age. Personally, I think it's ubiquitous because if I think back to me in high school, like I was thinking, I'm gonna get go to college and make the most money that I can make. That's my goal. That's all I want to do. Like no one could convince me of anything else. Like that's <laughs> just what I thought was going to happen and I, that needed to happen. And like all of my other friends, like they were trying to make as much money as they could in high school. Like if they have to miss football practice to sell drugs, like that's what they have to do. Like if they have to break into someone's house to steal their money, like that's what they have to do. Like just to get better and ahead and ahead. Like, so to me, like, they're not thinking of the greater system, like what can be toppled, like right. who else is involved in the system. They're kind of thinking of themselves and their family and like what they can do to get the most out of maybe their short life, like maybe, cause they don't know what's gonna happen in the future. Like, so like, why worry about uh, improving the minimum wage a couple of dollars when you can just worry about making the biggest buck you can that day. Right, right. Where it and that's and that's what our current status quo creates yeah. is a uh, just survival. Right. You know where where we have a system, we have the resources, we have the infrastructure to make sure that no one is without, but the way that we sh we've structured our system and, and what we view as personal responsibility, we are threatened with poverty or we're threatened with homelessness. Those are the things that our status quo or our system, those are the pressure points they use to get people to do what they want. Right. And of course that will create, because they, they because what, what our individualist system does is it takes Americans or, or takes a nation, you know, a collective and divides them into three, 300 million Americans that your neighbor is your competitor, yeah. not your, not your comrade, you know, not, not, not the person who we can, we can, we like, we, we have no sense of collective bargaining because we weren't even like told that was an option. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like that we can work with one another, that that's not illegal. You know, I, I feel like almost we think it's like, like if we step on the toes of corporate capitalism, <laughs> like that's a criminal offense or something, like we're going to get in trouble for it. I mean, but they do have all the power. So like, mm -hmm. it's kind of hard not to picture <laughs> that happening. Like, who knows like how much we can step on Amazon, Amazon's toes before <laughs> they start creating policies in Congress right. that we don't even know about. What gives them their power is guns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, that's the other threat, you know? So it's either, uh, like poverty, hunger, homelessness, or we'll fucking shoot you, you know? Like, like if we're going to create laws that 
might severely restrict your rights. And if you protest that, you we will write it in such a way that you are breaking that law and can be arrested or brutalized or fucking uh, executed by the violent arm of the state. So back to your point about how a black family would view or, or views our current status quo and how it seems impossible, you know, like you said before, like it, it like you're, you're at the whims of it. Yeah. Um, and so my, my thing is that what white comfort has been our biggest hurdle to change. So like what, like status quo is our, our biggest inhibitor to progress and, and, white comfort is one of the the pillar you know like um mudsill maybe it's called the thing that upholds the house but like it, it is its foundation and if i can begin to crack that comfort but i guess i have to you know handle it delicately because there will be a a backlash of some sort or or yeah you know so when when i tell you that what i would like to do is is make white people uncomfortable in order cuz i think white people's comfort is are our blinders you know and so because we don't have the outcomes of our institutionalized white supremacy supremacist system in our field of vision we don't almost don't believe it's it exists and so if you're able to crack the bind the, the blinders with a little bit of discomfort that could you know create <laughs> A, a space or an opening to to see some of these outcomes of our systems. Now, is that is that naive of me to believe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> <know>. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> because, laugh. like, when I think about it, I would say forty five percent of the people who voted voted for Trump. Now, how are you going to convince people? the 51% that voted for Biden, that those 45% of those people who voted for Trump are trustworthy and that can help break the status quo. Because breaking the status quo, you have to help them as well. Like you have to count on them as well, right? Like it can't be just the 51%. It has to be some of the other 45 as well, right? Mm -hmm. And thank you so much for saying this because I think that so this is a a white people problem across political the political spectrum i don't i think bringing politics into it or, or like the left right democrat republican thing it muddies the waters too much and yeah i can see that if we are talking about a political party in the u.s and we're talking about precedent or like the historical nature of any of these parties, what we're talking about is white men conferring with other white men to create a system for white men. 
And so if we start engaging in Democrat, Republican, we're already missing the point. Yeah. But like that's but that's like the only way to win an election now. Like I can't think of in the near future any way that a third party party could win an election, a presidential election. This is outside elections, Felina. This is about bringing a white person's heart to the truth. I don't believe that I would win this election in in Delhi Township. I think that it might provide a platform for me to speak a truth of whiteness of American history to a people that have long ignored it or been willfully obtuse to it, willfully ignorant to it. And so so I'll tell you my plan. The, The way that this evolved was I saw the skirt game coming up. Did, have I told you about what the skirt game is? No. I have not. No. The skirt game yeah, is a transphobic minstrel show put on by Delhi Township each year where grown burly men dress up as women as a joke and play softball and the whole town shows up to watch. It's just as gross as it sounds. Yeah. And there isn't a single, it, it, it's not to raise awareness yeah. for trans people. It's not a way to raise awareness for trans rights. We have currently in the Ohio State House multiple anti-trans bills, but the one that I, I, I am particularly focused on right now to draw the starkest parallel is the bill, the the protecting girls sports bill <laughs> that they, they say, basically say like making up something they're, they're making up that men will transition to or, or identify as a woman in order to dominate a sport. It's, it's not something that happens. It's just like their, their deceptive reasoning behind their voting suppression efforts. There is no, voter fraud there is no man transitioning in order to 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 excel at a sport but they do with the skirt game is create the imagery that is used by the politicians to to pass these bills so so it's grown men dressing up as women and playing a sport and it's showing that it, 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 it's, it's creating that distorted and grotesque imagery that the politicians try to conjure up in their constituents' mind when presenting something so transphobic. Yeah, so I, I wanted to explain that to you to, in order to provide some context around what I'm, what I'm doing. So I realized, because I've been away for a couple of years, and I realized that the skirt came, like, I, 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 I thought it would have been canceled. You know, like, I, like it just seems so uh, disgusting that we would recognize that we would recognize it. And so when I realized that it was still going on, like, I was just like, I want to get this canceled. Yeah. And so I wanted to start a, like, a social media campaign in order to uh, get this canceled. And then I came across, because I, I was like, I didn't even know I, I was born like like raised five from from five years old on 
uh, in Delhi, and I had no clue, no curiosity really, to how the township was ran. So I just wanted to look that up, and it's run by a board of trustees with three seats, and two of those seats are, are up for election this year. Hmm. And so I thought, well, maybe that would be a, a good way to elevate this platform. And so I approached, <laughs> I approached this from like an agitator perspective. I started yeah. leaving comments under Skirt Game Facebook posts and then also their public sponsors. So like Frisch's and Penn Station and Ford and Walt Sweeney. Um, wow, that's, uh, that's a lot of people. <laughs> a lot, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I kept posting like under like under Frisch's Instagram. They deleted my post a couple of times. They deleted one of their posts and had one of my comments under it, which told me that yeah. someone was, you know, paying attention a little bit. And then they had so they have a skirt game committee <laughs> that meets once a month. Cause it's like this thing where they raise money and it's seen as like a wholesome good event that like is important for the town and like people get together to like plan it and you know and so it's a whole it's a whole thing because uh, then they have like this fireworks show afterward and and it's supposed to be like a like a communion you know yeah so I went to that meeting <laughs> and in the middle of it the guy running it was like, I need to make an announcement, uh, or I just need to bring something up. There has been someone, and he says, and this comes up a couple times when I'm there, um, someone probably not from Delhi, um, probably an outsider, is leaving nasty messages underneath our post. And so I'm like, that's me. Can I say my piece? And told them what I, what I, was, what I was going for. And the looks on their faces they just didn't understand. They had no idea. And they, and they were so offended by what I was saying. I was calling the game transphobic. I didn't call any single one of those individuals transphobic. Yeah. Um, they started, you know, they started instantly attacking me, but it's all projection. Like when they say snowflake or triggered, you know, it's all the things that they do. So I, you know, I was thinking about continuing the agitation uh, strategy. But after the meeting, um, a guy who wasn't there messaged me and w was saying, I wasn't at the meeting, but like wanted to talk with you about like your, what you're, what you're feeling and stuff. Um, and so that made me like realize like I had given enough disruption that I got their attention. Yeah. So it wasn't necessary at this point, to continue uh, that instigation. Yeah. However, I do believe that I have that as leverage. So right now, I want to take the conversation to Delhi, and I want to talk to the people of Delhi, starting with things like what is suffering and what is peace, like. Sonny, Sonny put this as establishing common vocabulary. Yeah. And so that's what I want to do. Take all the steps back and start from like the very basics. But if they are not 
willing or if they keep punting it down the road, if they're not engaging in sincerity or good faith. My leverage, I believe, is raising this to a, like raising the platform. So if I can get the attention of like the Delhi newspaper or the Cincinnati Enquirer or yeah. like, you know, I, I want you to be on, in, in the know and understand what I'm, what I'm doing. I, I believe, do you, are you familiar with Newsmax or OAN? I'm familiar with OAN. Mm -hmm. So it's like a news network that's even crazier than Fox News, right? Yeah. And that's like their thing. Yeah. And Tucker Carlson on Fox News already does this where he picks a very unrepresentative story or like very specific story to highlight one of the like a, a bigoted belief that he has a, a, a bigoted belief that he has prior to this story you know it's not he, he, he's reverse engineering with with these things you know cherry picking and then OAN and Newsmax do that even more where they, they there was a there was a student who said Allah in the Pledge of Allegiance or something. Yeah. yeah and they did a story that. about that. So, Phil, if I, because like you can also reach out to them. So tell me if I'm crazy here. If I write them a message about how a social justice warrior, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, white savior is trying to cancel tradition in this town with, while calling it transphobic, it is a confluence of so many of the things that we're dealing with out in the open in it as a society right now. At least for me, I, I believe it's at the intersection. Like the, these things lie, all, all intersect. And so I think that's chum in the water for these goobers. I think yeah. that there's no way that they, that they don't latch on to that. I and agree, yeah. The way, and the way that you, so you, you said you heard about the Allah thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you see how quickly that disseminates into the mainstream? Yeah. I think that what I can do is say to them, I, I, I don't want to agitate. I want to have a conversation. Like, I don't want to go over your heads. The, the people of Delhi. I don't want to go over your head, you know. When but talking. you're willing to. If, but I am yeah. willing to, yes, yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Because I have to have something that... To leverage, yeah. Right. So I, I hope that that provides clarity. In your mind, can the skirt game still exist, but with, like, amendments and, like, just different, like, marketing and different, like, thought process? Or because it started in such a transphobic like light, it can't exist anymore. That's a great question. I said just take off the dresses. Like have the event, just take off the dresses. Like there's no reason to cross dress. Like it's obvious that you think it's a joke if <laughs> that's what you're doing. Their theme is chicks from horror flicks. Everybody laughs, and the person beside me is the first thing they say is, "Oh, it's like chicks with dicks." Uh, <laughs> and, oh, <laughs> and so that's that's in the committee meeting. <laughs> you know crazy. what I mean? Like yeah. they're all in the know. They're all yeah. in the know. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> right, and so 
they either have to transition it to a complete trans awareness thing, trans rights. They, they have to, because I believe that there's like a marathon or something where men or like every like like will dress up as women and like in high heels or like 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 put on a dress and and, and run. But I believe yeah. that's for like LGBTQ right. rights, and they aren't interested in that at all i i was explaining it's so funny i was explaining like what i was explaining to you about how they are creating that imagery for this trans bill and i i was anti-trans bill and i was explaining what's in that and then one person was like well yeah like when i was explaining that they're they they are trying to make a a, a person play by their biological sex not the gender they identify with and i had like a couple people like yeah, of course. <laughs> so, but that's that that's that's a cognitive dissonance and cognitive dissonance, man. That that's a, that's a thing that fucking upholds status quo. Also, there's this book I'm reading called Arresting Dress, and cross-dressing in America has been violently policed. All the way up to like, you know, like like around the time when this game started, it was still happening it, it this has been going on for 40 years or so that like we had cross-dressing laws through the 70s at least i think yeah um, yeah i mean if you like uh read stone butch blues yeah definitely that's like basically the whole plot of the book mm-hmm. with a history steeped in anti-lgbtq anti-trans violently anti-trans you know and then, and then to have these bills currently in the state house, I feel like any decent person would be able to recognize that and say, like, this isn't tasteful. Yeah. At the very least, you know what I mean. <laughs> the people of Delhi want want it all. They want to be able to continue this minstrel show, continue their uh, overt anti-trans activities. And also say that they're not engaging in that. And how dare you accuse them of that? <laughs> yeah. They got to know <laughs> that that would still be a thing. But, you know. It's so disappointing. Yeah. And the West Side of Cincinnati, it lives and breathes tradition. I'm putting that in quotations. Tradition is status quo. Yes. Tradition in a white power system. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like make America great again. It, yeah. It's it's hearkening back to a day where where white people had a louder microphone to be as racist as they want, as racist as we want to be. And the fact, and that's why Trump was so attractive to to white people because. We want someone who, who's not who has, who takes the hood off and 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 will still speak speak the same way, right? So yeah, it's it's really fucking disappointing that that they put this on and they don't they, they don't want to acknowledge a problem with it, and so it seems like I I've, I've made them I, I've created some discomfort, right? And so I'm gonna have a conversation with this guy who reached out this week, and I'm gonna propose to him that we 
set up uh, a time and a place for a larger conversation with the people of Delhi. And, you know, I don't expect it to be large <laughs> numbers, but I hope for it to grow where we are, like Sonny said, establishing that common vocabulary. So what do you think about this? Uh, <laughs> these stages, this process, what have I, what else have I not thought through? Because you make a good point about thinking about how disrupting white comfort doesn't just disrupt white people yeah. or affect white people. I don't know. I mean, as far as what you're doing, it's um, pretty interesting. Sounds like it could definitely work, but I don't know. How have be we hard. historically disrupted in, constru uh, in, in constructive ways? I would say the only, to me, the only successful ways were like somehow getting a bill to the Supreme Court. I believe that this must happen outside like th that this is a human thing yeah that i like I, the mechanisms of our system if we play by those rules we're playing on the grounds of status quo if we want to disrupt effectively i think we need to establish firm grounds that those of the status quo can can join us on because the status quo shapeshifts, man. We, and that's part of its strength. So what I'm curious about is the way status quo changes, who has the power to shape it, why it is in constant flux, and how has it changed during our lifetime. Feel free, I don't know if, it, let me know if I threw too much at you or, or feel free to kind of run with any. I feel like status status quo changes with like small minority populations and then slowly like the old traditional way of thinking gets forgotten and then that's how it changes. I just think that status quo is forgotten, it's not really changed, in my opinion. Like, mm -hmm. as far as like segregation went, like people just forgot what the value they had, like how much more power they had when they had segregation. And so it became less and less like a thing people stood up for. And so that's why it kind of cemented it in itself. Because like, even if you think about segregation, segregation ended and then Jim Crow and then slowly and slowly and just kind of people forgot how much power segregation had until like, I guess it's cycling back up again <laughs> nowadays. But yeah, so I think it's mostly forgotten as far as status quo. I don't know about changing, but I think it's forgotten. That's a really good point. Um, and it kind of just exists in the background. And I like that you said that it's forgotten because that makes me think, because in my mind, it was like the powers that be in an America that's like the white, white power will manipulate status quo as necessary. But the point that you made is that really in America, 
just like, you know, how slavery hasn't ended, it's formed into something else. And so that's like an existence of, uh, of status quo. It's the dressing of it that's yeah. different. So I think, I think you've helped clarify for me that it's not, it's not like the system that is shifting, you know, it's, it's the dressing and it's the, the rhetorical manipulation and the fallacies that get deployed that are the things that shift and, 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 and reshape depending on what is required to be said in that moment to defend the thing that they're doing. Right. What are the ways to identify active participation in upholding that system, passive participation, and then actively trying to disrupt or dismantle it? What are the ways in which we can decipher that? And then are there things to learn or are there ways to respond according when knowing who, who is upholding, who is allowing and then who is fighting against it mm. please let me know i don't i don't know because it's kind of hard to say to tell someone that they have an obligation towards something like i like to think that people have the obligation to be the best person they could be but that's that's kind of hard because that leads to their own personal morals and their own personal values, which could be misaligned. Because mm-hmm. it's hard for me to say, well, you're not working hard at this, trying to stop this. You're not working hard enough to do this. I feel like I don't have the authority mm-hmm. to judge on that. I don't know. I've, no. I don't know. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. And, and dude, obligation, and like what we owe to one another is is going to be one of the biggest hurdles. And that's, you know, that's the individualist mindset. I do think like one of the key things about being the best person that you can be is the realization that it's weird if you don't want to help someone. Like it's kind of... I would I would say like unhuman. So like if you're in a situation where you can choose to help someone or not, then you have to reevaluate yourself. Or like if you're making decisions to hurt someone, that's another thing you should reevaluate. So I think that might be a way into it where you're not saying, oh, it's your obligation to do this specific thing, but it's your obligation to consider someone else and it's weird or unhuman like in my opinion <laughs> to not so i can't get over this question that sunny brought up in, in our conversation what do you do when you see suffering how illuminating would that answer be because it, it gets at exactly what you're saying if you are in a position to help someone are you going to do it and so if you if you see suffering what do you do? Yeah. You know, and you get an idea of how that person, or, or at least you get there, even if it is diametrically opposed to their actions, you get what they want to believe. Right. And then once you've established 
that moral ground is where we want to be, that then like that is what you, you fall back on when disagreements come up or like things go awry, like remember what we want. You know, we, 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 we don't want to hurt others. We want to help if there is suffering. I think there is work to even get to the, that point though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I think you still, even with that, because we've gotten fucking used to seeing suffering and doing nothing. Right. I mean, we just watched over half a million people die. And it's funny. I was thinking about this going through Instagram stories today. Like some people who fucking post Instagram stories now of them being out, it's indistinguishable from what they were posting last year on this time. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so... <laughs> upsetting because that is the type of shit that kept it going obviously it was that behavior it was that selfish behavior and we white people have been able to create a system that either erases the existence or takes it out enough of our eye line for us to not acknowledge its existence we need to we need to widen the field of vision because what happened to the people or, or what happened like the devastation that occurred and it is occurring is a, it, it is by and large happening to people that we already didn't see that white people already didn't recognize and so of course it's not going to seem devastating because this is happening to people that we didn't even know or acknowledge, we didn't know existed or acknowledge their existence. And so we need to bring, bring humanity to people. Yes, yes. And so when do you think, I obviously can't do this too early, but holding the pro, like, I think pro-life has already been so, it's such like a, easy thing to call out <laughs> yeah that it's like it's almost like uh, people who claim to be pro-life have internalized that those contradictions enough that they don't appear to be contradictions to them right and when people call that out it just kind of bounces off their ears but i think it is important to eventually hold them to that I just don't know when. I don't know. It, that sounds, that one sounds like the most difficult mm -hmm. obstacle because people who are pro-life, that's one of their core, core values. Like once uh -huh. you have that conversation with them, uh -huh. they describe their position as like something they strive to and live by. So it's kind of hard to like, like when you're trying to have a civil conversation right. with them to oppose it. So my belief with why anti-abortion extremism has skyrocketed is because they're, they identify that as one of the moral grounds in which they can stand on. And 
and find some sort of like sense of morality because everywhere they look, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to take a moral superiority stands on gun violence, you know, like right. on gun violence or uh, the destruction of the climate or police brutality, you know, like those become, it, 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 it it's not a part of your morality. It's a part of your politics or something, you know, like it's not, it's not as critical to their self identity as abortion is. So because of those limited options of a place to tell yourself you're a good person, <laughs> they make abortion infanticide they make it murdering babies. <laughs> you know what I mean? They make it so fucking extreme that you can obviously convince yourself that what you're doing, you can leave all that other shit aside because what you're doing is so noble because you are saving the life of millions of babies. Yeah. Y you know? <laughs> so they, they they take it to these heightened, fabricated moral grounds and justify the inflated sense of duty there to excuse the inaction on so many other things. I'm curious what you think about, like, if... So I, I, I wonder what you think about, like, the if there's truth in that. And then if that is a way, obviously you can't start with that, but if, if that's something that can eventually be inserted in, but I, but I, I'm curious first, what you believe, if, if you believe that to be a uh, reasonable line of deduction. Is it reasonable what you're saying or is it reasonable what they're thinking? Is it reasonable to believe that they have uh, fabricated these grounds and isolated themselves on it in order to maintain a sense of morality? Mm, I don't know if it's completely that. Definitely for sure some people. But some people that I have spoken to, uh, mostly women, is that especially when they have a kid, their mind changes as far as like the value of children once they give birth like it just skyrockets mostly like I would say I was talking about abortion with uh, my boss and she said she was definitely like pro-choice but then like once she had her first kid like that what made her question things, which doesn't make sense to me. No. But again, like I can't, I can't right. say, I can't say that because like right. you're a woman, and, like, and you have children, like, so, like, I'm a guy, like, I can't tell you how you should feel about having a baby. So it's like, it's a weird conversation to have. And that's her truth. It, and that is, so it is okay to believe that. Yeah. Where it becomes unacceptable is when it seeps into legislation. When, But, but that's all like 
Congress need? Is it someone to like be halfway or like be half footed on something and then just take it and run with it? Like because she's no longer identified as pro-choice, that's all they need. Mm. They don't need you to be fully pro-lifers. They just need you to not be pro-choice. Right, because that's that's what the battle is. It's pro-choice or not. <laughs> and if you're pro-choice, you're more likely to challenge status quo. Yes. And there. So status quo likes to suppress dissenters. Yes. And that's such a good point. By solely stripping away, because I don't think. It, it that 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 mindset shifts like that if abortion wasn't stigmatized right correct you, do you agree with that yeah it, it's interesting because you don't know how much of this is a conscious choice but the you're exactly right the way that they set it up is by creating this stigma um and perpetuating the stigma um it, it is able to siphon off enough of that support that uh, suppresses any sort of growing movement or, or yeah. attempts to suppress a growing movement. Um, that's that dude. That's so interesting. That's uh, that is a great point. I am curious then, because this is kind of the grounds that we're on right now, what what do you think are the best tactics to deploy when communicating this with white people? So I think we were like we were kind of around around this question um, yeah. a moment ago. So I, I'm curious, kind of what you think on that. I'm not sure. It seems like it feels like mostly in my opinion, white people aren't just smoothed by social media and like the way it's marketed on social media. Like if it has a good ring, if it looks good, like that's the argument that's going to win. Like when I look on Twitter, like it's not the most educated article uh, argument. It's like what has the best ring, who's speaking about it in the most influential way, who's involved with it, like, can't have the wrong person involved with it, things like that. Right. It, that almost seems like the leverage of heightening this conversation is like the ace up my sleeve. If we were to think of kind of social media as the the driving force or one of the fact, one of the main factors behind how we shape our worldview, which is crazy how fucking easily shaped we are, you know, by scrolling through Twitter. Um, It's like we pick up convictions just like on the fly. The elevating it to a, a national conversation I think I guess that's that's far more dicey because it could it gives a larger audience to the message, but also to the people who 
don't want that spoken. If I bring it to that too quickly, could I not be prepared for it? What's coming? Uh, could I be entering it in such a way that it backfires and hurts the movement? Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's just like when I think of who has the most influence on young people, I think of AOC over Bernie, even though they have almost identical, really similar like ideas, like, but AOC has the Twitter and social media like pool, even though technically Bernie has more power. Right. But if you ask someone, you would think that AOC is the most popular politician, has the most power, like, but that's not the actual case. Mm-hmm. But the conversations are always focused around her, things like that. And for the other side, like uh, Ben Shapiro, like you would think he's the most genius person on the world, the way ah. Twitter talks, <laughs> like, everything he's saying is like unique and the most idealistic but like he's just repeating what people say and nothing's really original but the way that people talk about him on twitter the way he interacts on twitter is appealing to people Mm -hmm. it's one of those like i'm never wrong type of guys yeah. I think this 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 probably goes both ways but I'm I'm curious what you think. Does AOC get the platform that she has if she didn't have the ire of the entire Republican party? Like does her progressive message resonate in a way that she still captivates the audience that she has or is it the barrage of uh, attacks and centering her around issues that she doesn't have anything to do with most often, more often than right? right? Um, And so same thing with Ben Shapiro. Does he, would he have the same platform if he wasn't uh, villainized, and I mean, he is a villain. I mean, he does suck. Yeah, um, yeah, he does. But like, if, if that wasn't, but he's made out to be bigger than he actually is, right? And does do do the people who are fighting him elevate him? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe that is a component. Do you think it is true for AOC? What do you think about that? Or it kind of is unsure either way. I think maybe. Uh, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Cause, so I like AOC's approach because it's just genuine. Yeah, straight up and genuine. It's sincere yeah. and yeah. honest. A lot of people, I believe, are craving honesty and a... <laughs> Someone to, to bear witness faithfully. James Baldwin talked about this all the fucking time. Is like, if just state the truth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like 
when someone can see something happening, don't tell them that it's fucking not. Like, yeah. Bear witness faithfully because Ben Shapiro will say that he is doing that, yep. but it's in bad faith. Yes. It's all in bad faith. AOC approaches it with with good faith and a good heart. Yeah. And so she, but she's going to be attacked. She is attacked in a different way than how I would be. Correct. I would to, to get an audience. Absolutely. But it's all for the same goal. Right. You know, how many fucking tactics are deployed. So there are tactics deployed by status quo and the people who, who either are aware or just know instinctively that they, that they want it to continue. But there are different manifestations of defenses and attacks to uphold it. Does this, it seems like new terrain. I don't see other white guys doing this. Mm, no. Like talking about white supremacy in the way that it's like, like I believe that white supremacy, it seems obvious to me that it's the root. Yeah. And there are a lot of white progressives who will talk about progressive ideals like uh, like but they put racism alongside climate or gun violence like it, it, it like racism is another issue yes and it's not the issue yeah and and this isn't what my effort is isn't to call out because again i want to approach this from a not a left-right thing. It's a white mm-hmm. people thing. And so I want to apply just as much pressure to the Pod Save America guys who have such a fucking large audience and should be using it to talk about dismantling white supremacy, but will talk about it on the periphery and not state with conviction that we need to overhaul <laughs> The entire system, you know, I don't even know, like they're, they're, I I don't know who to look to, to see what to expect. I mean, it's going to change regardless, like, because social media is constantly evolving and like the rules are changing. So you'll never know exactly what's going to happen. Do you know who Michael Swaim is? Mm-mm. Uh, he used to be on Cracked, like the video. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's pretty, like, anti-white supremacist. He's pretty bold about it. Uh, I'll look him. How do you spell? What was his, what was his last name? Swaim. I put it in the... Oh, cool, cool. One S. <laughs> Too many S's. Swaim. <laughs> But yeah, he has a, I know, I don't think, I don't know if he's on the podcast consistently. Oops. I don't know if he's on the podcast consistently, but he has a podcast called Bold and it's about basically white supremacy and dismantling it. That's great. The the most recent episode was about, uh, was it about immigration? 
the way white supremacy. Dude, I'm excited to listen to this, man. Because I, I would like, it, it's not that I want to be the only one doing this work. I just don't know of anyone else who's, who's approaching it like this. I mean, um, not, not a lot of people, but it's, it's a hard platform to uh, stand what, on. What you need to do, and, and, and I was telling Sonny this, you have to approach it shamelessly. And how oh, shit, yeah. like you can be shameless and have have things to hide and, and be insecure, but you can also be shameless and because because I can live without shame because I've accepted who I am, what I've done, and, and what that that comes from that's birthed from recovering from alcoholism. Because if I can live openly and, and accept what I've done, then no one's attacks can pierce me right you know now they can do all types of other shit but <laughs> like i i think that i can stay emotionally this is what i'm hoping man emotionally stable throughout this because i feel so close to the truth or i guess like the visibility of that truth the resonating in my in my bones of that truth gives me strength <laughs> to you know or or helps me not be afraid of these people if i was saying this the other day if um if there's going to be a violent backlash you know a backlash at all to the truth that 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 is more reason to state it with even more conviction you know like mm-hmm. If there is an effort to suppress that by whatever means, that means that it's that much more necessary to to state and to stand up for. So where is our status quo headed? Is it trajectory inevitable, redirectional? What are the mechanisms that need to be put in place to have it go one way or another? I think it's, isn't it impossible to predict the status quo? Like, because if you can predict it, then you can control anything. So we wouldn't predict with 100% accuracy. It's more personal feeling of, basically of where, it's more like where American culture is headed. You know, like, what, 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 yeah. what, what do you believe? Like, I guess, what is your optimism or pessimism for the future? And... Uh, yeah, I'm kind of just curious about how you see next time. I would say pessimistically, I think that nothing significant is going to change and it's just going to be a continuous cycle. Like when I talk uh, to my grandmother, like a lot of the same conversations are still being had. And like it's just the same thing over and over again. Uh, I guess the biggest things that happens is like segregation is no longer a thing. Jim Crow's is not as prevalent, but it's all just recycled into other things like mass incarceration, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. What else? Is there something that you see or, you know, like even if it is a, like an impossibility, because we always like, I, I think one of the, and one of the things that you see on Twitter all the time is 
well, that will never happen. <laughs> you yeah. know, and it's just like, why? Like, let's let's put that aside for a second. And I like, even if this is an impossibility, what do you believe could change? What or what do you think is needed to change the trajectory or or, or to redirect it in a way that it doesn't just t- take new dressing? of the same thing i don't know <laughs> i think it's in, impossible i don't know i don't really i think it's always going to be new dressing like it's just going to be a continuous struggle like no matter <clears throat> similar to like the famine and like food like no matter how good we are at making food no matter how fast we can make food there's always going to be way too many hungry people, like way too many people uh, like uh, suffering from any type of hunger or whatever, even though today, nowadays, there should be no reason why anyone should be hungry. But similar to the 1600s and the 1400s, same same hungry people, people going hungry, people mad at the king because they can't feed it, even though the king could probably figure out a way to feed everyone like same conversation all over again this time it's this time we're talking about like a status quo of race and things like that do you so i mean at least in the americas we're going back to the 1400s of like a violent white supremacy yeah how how much of that suffering is created by that by the choice that we make to uphold that white people make to uphold this white supremacist system, the, like, like the hunger, the homelessness, the suffering, those are choices that have been made both in setting up the system and then in propping it up um, and continuing it. So, and, and this is where, peacemakers are the way out of this i think and that's why our peacemakers get killed yeah you know uh when it feels like but it feels like the peacemakers always have to get killed for anything to change like it Mm -hmm. seems like somehow they have to be dismantled for any type of pacification to happen like i don't know if things would have got better if Martin Luther King didn't die. Uh, I don't know. Do you think so? Like if Malcolm X or Martin Luther King wouldn't have died, would things have changed? So that's, that's interesting that you say that because they, I think part of what, why, why there's a belief that like the, the FBI, like the motive behind the FBI's assassination was that he was taking a turn into poverty and economics. So it was, he was making the connection of like the race, the racism to the systemic uh, issues with, with that, that create poverty and how our system is imperial. Like, like talking about the war in Vietnam too. Yeah. For me, I think that if he wasn't assassinated, that I don't know, because he was also getting unpopular with white people at the time. Yep. Um, 
And so does he become a maligned figure in the public? Are we able to so like, are we able to so deftly propagandize him that his influence deteriorates? I think that the assassination is proof that things would have changed. Do you know what I mean? Or else they wouldn't have killed him. Hmm. But things did change. So like, I mean, maybe not the best outcome of change, but they did change Mm -hmm. when he died. So like, there was going to be a change no matter what, maybe they were mitigating their losses. Yeah. Because I mean, think about like, it was a uh, Medgar Evers. Yeah. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Fred Hampton. These are all in the JFK. Yeah. (laughs) Robert Kennedy. Yep. These were all in one decade. Yeah. You know, and so I think by eliminating the, you know, JFK and RFK, they had their shit and like, like James Baldwin recounts a meeting with Robert Kennedy where he just wasn't listening. So like they, they, or he said, he said something like in 50 years, like we will have like a black president or something. Mm-hmm. And he's James Baldwin's like, motherfucker, why are you telling me that I have to wait 50 years? Like you just <laughs> hopped on this scene and you're telling yeah. me that I got to wait 50 years. And so they obviously had their, their own baggage, but they were like, they were white men who were being vocal about equality, I guess. Um, and that is a threat to the, to the status quo, America's status quo can be real violent. Yes. As we've seen, because it's like upholding itself by any means necessary. And there are plenty of people who are plenty of white people who are glad to participate in that. As long as we let each other off the hook, as long as white people let one another off the hook. And that's why we hold on so tightly to qualified immunity. We need police to be able to police as violently as they want to and as indiscriminately as they want to because that terrorism (laughs) is uh, a huge factor in dampening dissent. Uh But yeah, I don't know because like Jesse Jackson still survived. And I think if you think about him, like he would have basically like Martin would have basically fallen in the same route where kind of now he falls into obscurity, mm-hmm. even though he was doing a lot with the Rainbow Coalition. Like, mm-hmm. But now, like, no one really speaks of him. Like, he doesn't have any days of knowledge or anything. He just kind of thought of, like, an old person. Mm-hmm. So, like... Reverend I, Sharpton. Yes. Yeah. 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 Also, Sharpton was pretty problematic at some points. But But it's interesting. Angela Davis is still alive and still very vocal and active. And white people don't elevate. That's one of the passive ways I think we, like white liberals will uphold, will uphold this by not, we don't challenge one another. White liberals don't. Because we live in the same white comfort that uh, white conservatives do, and we enjoy it just as much. (laughs) And we don't want to acknowledge that. 
we because we like we think of ourselves as holding these ideals and that we're not racist and we know better um i mean just look at connecticut like all the east coast states um yeah we just we 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 also need to be challenged martin luther king said one of his biggest disappointments was in the white liberal white moderate because we should absolutely know better and fight for better uh and yet we 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 don't as we bring this to a close i'm wondering if you have any lingering thoughts or if you believe that i've if i've missed something if i've left something out or similar to how you've brought up things that i didn't consider before is there is there anything that i'm not considering um in this well where does violence fit in dismantling the status quo dude I'm you haven't mentioned you haven't mentioned violence even though violence is sometimes a form of protest like it's right. also very prevalent throughout all of these toppling of status quos like where does that fit in your message that's such a great point it's a great question um and i that's i'm mad that i didn't write this down because i was thinking about the same thing then Martin Luther King again talks about how like rioting is the is the call of the unheard. Yeah. You know, like you have to get attention somehow. I am not unheard. You know, I have a I have a position as a white cis heterosexual man. I I have a a position where I'm able to agitate a little bit and get conference with people with with white people. And so I am not required to 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 not not very much is is needed from me to to elevate my my voice and be heard. And I don't believe that I have the right to be violent. And I believe that if I want to reach peaceful means or, or uh, like a peaceful end, I got to use peaceful means. I would not disbar or leave out anyone who is being oppressed violently from responding with with violence or defense, you know, often it's just defense or fear because when you're being terrorized by the state, you can't escape that. It, it, it's suffocating. I've never had that feeling for me to then respond. Have you seen dear white people? Yeah. There is a clip where God, it's been so long, I can't remember their names, but... I can't remember their names either. Um, <laughs> We're talking about the movie, right? No, the TV show. Oh, no, I, didn't see the, I didn't see the show. I've only seen okay. the movie. Dude, I can't recommend it more. Um, I haven't seen the movie, actually. I So there was a, a scene where um, there's uh, a, a black woman and a white woman who are friends. They're, they, you know, they're, they're students at the same university. And they are hosting this radio show talking about the racism on campus. And the 
the the white student starts saying fucking and like 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 starts cursing. You know, it's funny that I, I I've been doing this too. I you know, and, and once I saw this, I thought I should try to stop that. But um, <laughs> she, she the the black student said, "Please stop that because you have like you you get that right. You get to say right. things." But if as soon as I do, I'm labeled the uh, angry black woman and I'm ignored. Yeah. Um, and so I so similarly, I, I don't think that I should be. I should be violent. Yeah. I expect a violent. I have to accept that there could be the possibility of a violent backlash. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing it right, like, it's almost, it's expected. Like, there's right. no other outcome. Like, right. it's, if it's successful, it's going to be violent. Right. And, and, and that is, the, again, the exact reason why I have to say something. Yeah. If I can't say anything, Phil, if, 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 if a white man, you know, I, I was I won the fucking lottery just by virtue of being born a white man in America. I have so much fucking power in a swing state, you know, like my vote counts even more, you know, like it's just, I hold so much power. You, you know what I mean? Like not me, white men, um, yeah. which I am a part of. We have been, handed gifted this this immense power and if i am afraid to say something how could i ever like how could you ever expect anyone else to or, right. or demand that anyone else do that we've too long deferred this this work to the people who are actively being oppressed and have they and and those the people who have actively actively been oppressed have been on the front lines and received that violence, but have done so because the bigger, uh, the, like the end is is enough. Like, like seeking peace and justice is noble. I I I, I have to expect that. I want to create a template. I want to create a. I, I want to lead by example. I think white people, white men need to lead by example. And if I can show a path to do that or kind of, you know, like even just like the courage to do it, you know what I mean? Like, I think courage might be like a little too self-grandizing, but I think, you know, you know what I'm getting at. Uh, yeah. So that's how I viewed violence when I'm, when I'm, when I'm thinking about this, where, where do you, do you have an idea of where violence, how, what, what role violence would play? I think it's like absolutely necessary or unavoidable. Like mm -hmm. with this series of a topic, like it's either going to get uh, violent or nothing's going to happen. Like, I think that's the only option. Like, I'm going to try to create a buffer or a bubble by, you know, some sort of protective bubble by 
using Delhi's slogan of one of the safest places in Ohio uh, <laughs> against that. You know, like say like if you believe that this is the safest place in Ohio, that means that it's a safe place for anyone a dissenting voice. Yeah. Too. And so I should be able to speak. I, I should be able to uh, use my first amendment right to speak like my truth without fear of a violent backlash, especially in the safest place in Ohio. You know what I mean? So I'm hoping that that can create at least a small bit of protection initially. And if I, I don't know, but they all did. I was going to say, if I approach it with sincerity and love first, like, but that's what, that's what all the peacemakers do. And that's like almost more threatening. I think. I don't know of another way to disrupt the status quo in a way to transform it, overhaul it um, comprehensively. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna be, it's gonna be part of this, but I think that this is my moment. I, I think there are few moments that you, there are few openings that you'll, that you'll have in a lifetime to be able to, to make the change that you can make with the power that you have. Like, I'm not gonna change the world, but I could, like like Sonny and I were talking about, like you could be a stone creating ripples. Like in the grand scheme of things, I would be lucky if I was a stone, you know? Yeah. Seeing that this is what I believe to be my moment, like where I can do that, I wanna take it and then also, you know, just kind of, Except, except what comes of it. My, my fear is that maybe I'm wrong and this isn't my moment or like I'm not the right person to do this, but I think I'll feel it out as it goes along. And maybe yeah. it, like if I don't feel like I'm the right person for it, I can change what I view my role is in this work. But this is what makes sense to me now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it sounds like a easy, like, thing for people to fall in line with. Like, as far as, like, the skirt game, like, it seems like if enough uh, reasonably-minded people get behind you. Dude, you so you'd be surprised, man. I had, like, I put up, like, a poll on Instagram saying, like, do you support the skirt game or should it be canceled? Like, and I had people who I would have thought, wouldn't support it saying like it's not that big of a deal (laughs) like it's uh it's just good fun it's tradition so (laughs) i i I was thinking about like like some of the people who i'm closest with like my family they they think i'm too extreme my girlfriend thinks i'm too (laughs) extreme i think uh and so if i can't even fucking communicate with my family (laughs) So part of me worries that like how how the fuck am I gonna get to other white people? But it, I mean, is- it, it is like in the realm of like politics, it is extreme. Like it's like it would be a big step 
like it's not a small feat. So right. like it is extreme. It's not like you're just asking for a simple mental switch. <laughs> this is a big giant cultural switch. Yeah, changing a worldview. Yeah. Like, it would be easier if you were just trying to change a policy. (laughs) Right. Like, that makes more sense to people that is seen as not extreme, but influencing minds and, like, changing ideas, that's... (laughs) It's radical. We need need radical change. We must have radical change. And and so and and so I don't I, I don't want to keep you too long. I, I I do think that the way to kind of do this is almost set it up where it's like, okay, so if these things are true, if the things that I'm saying are true, that these systems create these violent outcomes, like can we like basically asking them to exist in that reality, like place themselves in that reality, even if they don't believe it, and say okay, if these things are true, what would we do? And kind of get an idea of how they would behave in that, or how they think they would behave in that type of environment. It's possible you get the same response, but I'd be curious. Like, I I think trying to bring it to this, like, okay, if this is the case, what would we do? Um, And, and, also hearing them, like letting them say like, okay, if this is the case, like, what would we do? Like for me to answer, you know, but if we put it in a reality, if we put them, their, their themselves to, uh, into the, into the real world, even if it does take that hypothetical, that seems constructive to me, possibly constructive. Yeah. I mean, Good luck. <laughs> yeah, man. I, yeah. I I think it's gonna it's gonna take some tact and some delicacy. I don't want to just go in smashing things. Yeah. You know, because we're gonna have to find a way out of it too. It's not just disrupting for disruption's sake. It's disrupting to get the attention to grab the ears of the people who need to fucking wake up. Mm-hmm. and they're slumbering comfortably right now and that's why i think creating that disruption is vital lingering thoughts felino how you feeling about our conversation uh it was good it's good it was very uh interesting it made a lot of sense you had good points it was good I'm I'm really happy to have talked to you because there are so there were so many facets that I hadn't seen before that I'm now like my mind's now open to. And just taking into consideration how the and and, and I feel so bad about this, but like taking into consideration how disruption of status quo would affect black communities who are who are being oppressed, who are being terrorized by police and underfunded in the in the communities, like at least you know status quo. Mm-hmm. you know yeah. like at least it's like some sort of familiarity uh and that's what we i mean we do that with friends and we do that with partners um right. even if it's not necessarily the healthiest thing something that's familiar 
can seem safe. So I guess I got to make sure that it's clear where we're going as a safe space. Yes. You know? Because it sounds like it's just a transfer of control. (laughs) Right? Right. It's out of the control of the current status quo to a different control of an idea that Justin has. (laughs) But it's a good idea. It's a good idea. And it's going to be helpful. But it's ultimately... (laughs) just a different idea so what i want i when 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 i view power transferring like i think i want white people to relinquish power completely where yeah we don't we don't have any trust we never earned any trust we have shown that we abuse our power and we let ourselves off the hook for that we have no right to then say, well, this is what we want in the new system. (laughs) Um, And so like when I view a transfer of power, I do, I do view it as, as being completely into the hands of the people who have been um, historically oppressed. Um, But it does need to be more than that message. It needs to be like, that that almost it's like it it that is the logical conclusion of where we end up mm-hmm. that it makes sense cognitively intellectually emotionally psychologically to uh intuitively to 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 transfer the powers as such um but that's why it's a journey with the heart and that's why establishing common vocabulary is so crucial. Right. right now we're talking past one another. Yeah. Um, and so getting <laughs> on the same level and using the using words that one another understands and knows what we mean. Um, that's the first step. I guess I, I guess in order to do that, I have to build some trust in a way, but that's what I'm hoping to do by meeting up with this guy who reached out yeah. after the skirt game committee is building trust with him. And this is why it's called conduits is why I named this podcast conduits is because um, we're going to have to act as channels right now. There's such a disconnect in our communication between Americans, you know, between, uh, just different neighborhoods like like even within the same cities um it's a white versus right <laughs> divide um right being like the right thing not right as in conservative uh, yeah but yeah, yeah viewing it as a channel viewing it as a, a, a emphasizing peace emphasizing safety um, emphasizing eliminating suffering and the value of life. And that's where I think holding up that pro-life thing, um, really valuing life, uh, and that we're all fucking equal. Every single person has the same goddamn inherent worth as any other individual. 
And that is, that's unchangeable. You, your, your human worth does not go away, um, no matter what you do. And we need to recognize the humanity in us all. And I guess we'll figure out how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Polina, thank you so much.